everybody, I'm Dr. Deb, and welcome to another episode of PTSD and Beyond. Welcome to the PTSD and Beyond podcast, where we give you insights into post-traumatic stress, trauma recovery, healing, and beyond. I'm Dr. Deb Lind, and in each episode, I have a conversation with a guest who will stimulate your mind, touch your heart, and connect with your spirit, and also give you a greater understanding of yourself and others on this healing and recovery journey walked by so many of us before, wounded healers with lived experience and heroes. Hopefully, we'll also provide a glimpse into possibilities and purpose, hope, and inspiration. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. One last thing, guys, before we dive into today's episode, if you'd like an ad-free experience and like early access to new episodes and special events, I want to let you know you can join us at patreon.com. That is patreon.com forward slash PTSD and beyond. All right, let's do it. Hey, everybody, it's Dr. Deb here with PTSD and beyond. Don't have a clue what's going on with the microphone here. Anyway, um, welcome to another episode of PTSD and Beyond. Today's episode, I have the pleasure of sitting down with Dr. Pamela Hall. And Dr. Pam and I, we're, we're going to be talking about the movie Mending the Line from two different perspectives. One is from Dr. Pam's clinical background, and then mine from the lived experience perspective, and then both of us. So both of us combined our our insights on key takeaways of the movie, key takeaways of the movie Mending the Line. And one of the things that came out after we had our recording, and I want everybody to understand that today, for some reason, the internet provider decided to, uh, yes, do an upgrade. So our podcast uh, recording got caught off a little bit. And what we, what Dr. Pam and I were talking about was about shame and the different threads of shame. So stigma is a shame. We have survivor's guilt is a shame. And then how do we have the awareness of when we're imposing shame to ourselves? How how do we how do we make sure that we're not um, injuring ourselves with with shame? So there's no no like Dr. Pam says there's no shame self. So we're not we're not imposing and br- being injured by imposing shame on ourselves. I hope you like today's episode and. There's a few zany points I do want to mention because we talk about resilience and not from the perspective that you might expect. See, when Dr. Pam and I get together, we talk about all kinds of stuff. So I hope you like today's episode and uh, stay tuned. And here we go, you guys. Let's do it. Hey, everybody. It's Dr. Deb here with PTSD and Beyond. Guess what we're doing today? Can you guess? All right, we'll do a pause. Nope, that's not it. What we have today is we have conversations <laughs> with Dr. Pamela Hall. Yes, Dr. Pam, welcome back. Hey, Dr. Deb. <laughs> nice to chat with you again. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We we thought about taking the movie, mending the line, and talking a bit about the movie, how it relates to veteran services, and you're on site somewhere. And uh and to talk about just like general stuff about post-traumatic stress. Folks that are listening right now, before we start recording, we were talking about resiliency and what the word stress actually means, what it doesn't mean, some some things that we're seeing that um, don't resonate as being accurate. And then also um, real, real world descriptions of how resiliency maybe could be illustrated. So expect a, a fun-filled conversation, and we're just going to go with it. So where do you want to start with first? You want to talk about mending the line first or resilience or where do you want to go? Let's do that. Look at, I'm going to open up this, my notes from your podcast okay. with Joshua Caldwell. Caldwell. Yeah. Yep. What a great podcast. So thank you. Shared that out last night. Um, I loved how you characterized recovery as moving from chaos to serenity. Yeah. I saw that in saw that in the movie, you know. Um, yeah. I made a shout out to the folks at Blue Fox Entertainment and then Joshua's team. You know, they one of the things I really appreciated about the conversation with him was his his depth of understanding that we start from one place and like the river, we don't know where we're going to end up by the time we get down the river. That's right. But we know we're going to end up someplace. Well, one thing for sure, time keeps moving. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this idea um, of what is recovery from a trauma event or trauma exposure. And I think, you know, 40 years working in this business. I know that what people want is this ultimate sort of safe haven, safe space where the impact of that trauma event has been squashed, you know, and I don't really see life that way. I I see life as being one day after another, um, kind of a constant movement into and out of some some kind of chaos, into and out of some kind of serenity. And um, it really does matter what you experience as to how much chaos you end up experiencing in your life. Um, Certainly violent traumatic exposure um, creates an internal chaos. Yeah. Uh, And so then that you know, we carry that internal chaos with us. What I loved about the movie and I love about these approaches and and the way uh, these approaches to quote unquote recovery is that they're actually lifestyle changes. So this going fishing, Uh going fishing. I almost got to go fishing last Friday um, in Alaska and, uh, I ended up not being able to do it because more work was booked. So I had to work instead of go fishing. Um, But that process of going fishing is so relaxing. And I've actually only done fishing from a, in a boat with a lure and bobber. And so sitting and watching that bobber and 
you know, but all the stuff leading up to that, that having to touch a worm and right. ask somebody else to touch a worm. Fuck your baby. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, the whole thing is very engaging. Right. And it just captures you. And the water around you is serene um, or maybe rushing past, but you have to pay attention. And I love that part of your conversation with Joshua, how you both spoke about the necessity of being fully present when you're fly fishing in particular. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it's a great model. I golf. So that's how I release tension. It's the same kind of process. Yeah. I call it the 89 points of golf. Every time you approach a ball, you have to think of the 89 things that need to go right in order for the ball to go where you want it to go. And so it requires a super focus. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, my balls go right and left and long and short. So I'm still learning. And that's the lifestyle, you know, so. Right. The lifestyle of learn of just engaging life and making sure you have spots in your life where you can achieve some kind of serenity. Yep. You know. That's what I like about baseball. I know that they're trying to make the game faster. I mean, I went I went to one of the uh basketball playoff games and there was so much commotion going on that I, I could not relax. And it reminds me of when you go to the gym and there's all this noise and the pumping and everything. It's like, you know what? We're already higher than a kite. We need we need to come down. Our nervous system isn't used to being able to come down. And then we expect it to come down when we go to bed. And then we can't go to sleep because we're so high and strung out, right? So that's what I like about baseball is it, it forces me to sit there and I have to pay attention to what's going on because... You never know. A ball just might fly, right? It's happened once, could happen again. And the other thing I appreciate about it is it forces me to be outside and just kick back. I'm not doing anything else, yeah. not on my phone, I'm paying attention to the game. I need to know, like, you know, what the calls are, who's up, who's who's getting ready, you know, what it's it is. It it requires a different level of of um presence. So I appreciate yeah. baseball for that reason. I know they're trying to make the game faster. And I've noticed this year with those pitch timers that I get myself nervous and anxious by, oh my gosh, what's what's the pitch timer? What's the pitch timer? It's like, you know what? Aren't we we're losing the essence of the game? But that's that I digress. That's my opinion. I that's not a digression. This is kind of how we've been talking is you know, before you started the recording is just both of our experiences include, both of our lifestyles include large periods of time where we're just relaxing. Yeah. And that overall makes us healthier. Yes. So uh, it helps our brains to be healthier. It takes us out of that alarm mode you know that right sitting up paying attention yeah making sure that we got all our p's and q's together mm -hmm. i mean golf is stressful and you see a lot of people banging their golf clubs around but i am not that person i i i use the golf course for my five hours in the sun 
you know, and when I think about our lifestyles in our modern lifestyle, right? We've got phones, we've got clocks, we've got all kinds of things telling us a notepad telling us what needs to be 24 hour shopping, stores that are open all the time. Yeah. I mean, I remember where the only thing that was open on a Sunday, this was when I was, you know, growing up, was 7-Eleven. If you needed something, you better get it, get it on Saturday because nothing's open. No gas stations, just 7-Eleven. That's it. And now... And change over time. A hundred years ago, what would we be doing right now? We wouldn't be doing a podcast. You know, we wouldn't be talking over this device. And this is... This is great that we have these tools, um, but we are built to have a lifestyle with calm periods. Right, correct. Calm times. And I, you know, I didn't actually find the movie calming. I mean, in some ways I did, mending the line. By the end of the movie, I thought I was experiencing quite a bit of serenity. They did a great job let's say in the last half an hour, just being on the river. All right, didn't they? It's beautiful. Catching fish and releasing fish. Mm -hmm. And so by the end of that, I was feeling very peaceful. But I am not a crier, but that damn movie got me choked up several times um, in how they really accurately depicted through the acting, through the directing through the carefulness of um, looking at a combat uh, veteran yeah, and what post-traumatic stress symptoms would look like on him, how to visually represent that in an authentic way right. that didn't uh, sort of make him look like he was incapable or lacked resilience. Oh right. my gosh. he There's nothing about that character that lacks resilience he experienced an amount of stress in a specific situation that has the adjective in front of it traumatic right traumatic stress right um that it you know popped his cork yep you know we were talking earlier too about the differences with stress and how modern society likes to push back and say well some stress is good because it gives you the edge. Some stress is good because then it means you'll go the extra mile. But that's not stress. We we inter not we, but society will interchange the word stress for two different words. Ooh, stress is stress that gives you the added edge. But majority of the time, that is not the stress that people are experiencing. They're experiencing distress, which is Han Seeley's work. Kudos to Han Seeley. Um, The thing that I also appreciated about the movie too was, excuse me, is that it showed, it showed that stress, traumatic stress isn't immune to specifically people that are veterans or that are active service members. Lucy had her own lived experience with trauma and then her um, future mother-in-law was that character was very concerning to me because she was completely disassociating. Her life was yes. one great big continuous loop of disassociation by sitting and watching her her um, deceased you know son 
high school football games on videotape. You know, so I guess we should say spoiler alert if you haven't seen Mending the Line. That's true. Spoiler um, alert. <laughs> spoiler alert. But um, but in this case, uh, not necessarily a trauma alert or a trauma trigger alert. Right. Um, but a grief trigger alert yes. throughout throughout this movie with this parallel story of Lucy the civilian. Right. Um, who is a fabulous photographer, but puts that aside after the death of her fiance. So um, what a difficult time to go through. And again, in, in the general uh, conversations of psychology, um, we might also call that stress. And in, I like alliteration. So I, over the you know decades, I have my T words for stress. So I would call that tragic stress mm-hmm. that we experience tragedies. Um, and I think the process of grieving is as powerful as the process of post-traumatic stress when what we have is a traumatic stressor, like a violent stressor. Right. Um, I, I all these conversations about post-traumatic stress. Um, I think we'll begin to create a new a new narrative, a new language to use to make this more clear because um, traumatic stress or violent stress leads to a very different kind of experience of chaos inside than tragic or troubling or trying or mm-hmm. I call you stress, uh, terrific stress. I, I like terrific right. stress. Yeah, terrific know. stress is... Uh... Yes, is not a problem. It still you know? like demands things from us right. to learn and grow, but it doesn't lead to such chaos. Right, correct. Yeah, and the more complicated the stress, the more inner chaos a person experiences. It's very difficult. Why is it that why is it that with uh life experiences like the loss of a loved one? Why isn't I guess my question is, why does society deem that experience, that life experience, less than, right? We're expected just to get over it. And and at some and at some and don't get me wrong, there are there are people who have said to um, abusers, you know, have said, you, you know, you just need to get over that. That happened so long ago. Right. Um, I, it's it's fascinating to me the complexity of the dismissive. Uh, actions and behaviors of general society to something that is uh, to something that isn't immune to anyone. It could happen to anybody. And does. Yes, correct. And does. So um, I don't know why people minimize the loss. Just think about loss. Um, You've been in Lucy's case, interacting with her fiance for some period of time. And now there's this big hole. Right. There's where there's no conversation. I I've had some significant losses in my life of people I cared about. And I've I've come to think of that loss as the long goodbye. Mm-hmm. You know, like in a way I can tolerate that I won't be talking to this person right. for a while, but I can't tolerate that I will never interact with them again. 
Yeah. So my own spirituality um, wraps around that. My lifestyle wraps around that. I I honor the spaces where the people I have lost kind of come up again. Mm-hmm. You know, when yes. I think about them, and I've been missing my mom lately, who I who passed away about four years ago, just be just before the COVID pandemic, which I felt she was really lucky to have to miss. Oh, wow. The COVID pandemic, Mm because it would have really, like, hurt her. So one of my ways of coping with her being gone was to, in a sense, be glad for her that she didn't have to experience all this chaos that's going on right now. But the other way that I really live with that is knowing that one day I will have that conversation again, and I'm in that long goodbye yeah, and so there's there's a way that each of us have ways to deal with grief. Yeah, you know, you might have a different way to deal with grief. The thing that's not there that is there for post traumatic stress is this memory, this trauma memory, this looping, vivid, smelly, mm-hmm. lots of all the sight, sounds, smells. Yeah, that just loops back and to our brains feels exactly like we were there before, like, like it just happened yesterday. Correct. Yep. So how do you get over something that's looping like that? There is no getting over that. There's, there's some process of developing a lifestyle where the chaos is less frequent, which means that on the other side of the coin, the times of serenity become more frequent. Yep. Correct. Yeah. What I'm curious to know too, is like, I I appreciate how Joshua illustrated, I don't want to say the timeline of therapy, but the experiences, there were things that were happening in the movie and the, uh, the movie theater I was in, was in an attendance of a bunch of veterans because they were all laughing at the same time. We were all laughing. We were all laughing at the same time. We were all making very similar comments at the same time. And it became known that the group of us were like, hey, okay, you get it. I get it. You get it. Hey, you get it, right? Oh, and nice. um, and then the spouses, right? The spouses were saying stuff too, which was, it was very dynamic in Minnesota, believe it or not. People that didn't know each other actually came together to watch this film, <laughs> which is in itself an experience. So what I'm, what I'm curious to know too is so, you know, um, both veterans are moving through their own journey. And at one point, Patricia Heaton's character says, you know, to Ike, we're running out of options. That moment in the film, I kid you not, there were so much like, you want to take a pulse of the audience here? People were angry. People were angry. And, uh, you know, and I'm listening, I'm thinking to myself, how many times have people actually said, hey, you know what? I went to the doctor and, you know, I was told this today. We're running out of options. I also think about Penny George, who was told, you know, inoperable cancer. We're running out of options. We got nothing. And then, you know, she decides to go to um, the eastern part of the world and does integrative care and then comes back to Minnesota and establishes a, and you know, Penny George Institute for Complementary and Alternative Therapies. And why does it have to get to where we've exhausted everything that we think we know to say to somebody, 
we're running out of options and oh hot here by the way why don't you go try fly fishing not that it was that flippant you know but they were standing outside and she's like well you know i'm kind of like that's the experience and why is it why isn't the um you know, the discovery process of, okay, so we're going to look at nutrition, diet, exercise, all the things that we do know that work that are non-invasive. I mean, somebody could be interested in uh, beekeeping. How many, how many uh, groups, there's a group up in Canada right now that we're, we're, we're talking with about having them come on to talk about their services with beekeeping for veterans. And I don't mean like the stinging of the bees, you know, I know that there's bee sting therapy. I'm talking about hives. Oh, right. right. You know, managing the, hives. Yeah. Managing so what, the, hives. this guy we were talking, which was interesting, because for me, this would not be something to do. The The sound of the buzzing for me can be a reactor. And what he was saying is that the sound of the bees with the hive, the buzzing is actually calming for for veterans that they work with. And I'm like, for me, that would not work. That would I know. I would like to get there someday, but for me right now, no, that's not happening. And that's part of my trauma experience. But the point of the matter is, is circling back to the thought of, could we talk about, I don't care if it's roller skating, roller skating, um, fly fishing, regular fishing, uh, beekeeping, playing baseball, baseball, throwing pottery, thrift, I mean, why hiking. don't we hiking? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Forest bathing, um, crochet, knitting. Look at some, I mean, some, it's like, why aren't those things introduced early on? Okay. Well, I do, I do think we have shifted into such a medical model for the correction of a post-traumatic stress response. And it's been lovely to have some kind of medical models for this. Yep. Um, and and certainly, you know, but to certainly they can be helpful, but to trade your military career for a handful of antidepressants is not anyone's idea of a good end game. And they're making their own cocktail though. That was something else that was illustrated in the movie that, you know, with our PTSD and beyond group, we're very familiar with. No, they're not just taking the meds with a thing of water. You know, they're down in it with whatever. Um, it's not even wine. It's hard liquor. I mean, you know, with it's a always, pint. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. It's the pint. Yep. Yep. A little pocket pint. Yeah. Yep. So that. So trigger warning on this film. There are a few trigger warnings because yeah. it is. It's very. Um, it's very it's realistic. Real. So you know. So the our Ike is. I'm terrible at names after I've watched a movie. So Ike is our um, Afghan vet. He's the he's Ike, vet, Ike he's is the Ike is the um, the Vietnam vet. The Vietnam yes. vet. Yeah. So and then the name of our Afghan vet. What was his name? Yeah, I know his. I know the actor's name. <laughs> okay. You now I'm sitting here. I'm sitting here looking at it. So Coulter. Yes. Coulter. Coulter. Yes. Coulter. Coulter. So yeah, you gotta realize that Coulter's walking around for a third of the movie with a pint of whiskey in his pocket. Right. You know, now no judgment from me. I always say the next time I go to combat, I'll get to judge people for drinking whiskey 
because of, you know, yeah, all and that they're feeling, but right. it's, that's not a good end game either. No, oh, it's not. That one ends very poorly. Um, other end games. So get somebody into uh, a psychotherapy situation, consulting with a mental health person, and that can go so far, but that's what, an hour a week? Well, look when he was taking the test. He's sitting there taking that self-assessment and he's angry. He's show and he's answering everything. And I'm like, he's not going to answer this correctly. How many times do we go in the in the, you know, you're doing your you're doing your blood pressure and whatever, and they're like asking you, um, so I have some questions to ask you about your mental health. What's the first thing that pops up? I don't know you. I don't know you. I don't trust you. I'm not going to give you the answer. That you're What's looking the first for question that comes out are you suicidal right exactly this is actually a very bad place to stop start mm-hmm. with, you know so so some skills on the part of of the mental health provider or the physician provider yeah, it's very technical please don't start Transactional. with that question you know um and but yeah culture was like the vision of uh, service members. So he's still in the service during the movie. Yep. He's he's on a med board, which, you know, our veteran and military um, buddies will identify with. So he's been injured in a combat uh, encounter and um, is, at, is at a VA for treatment. And he's being considered for discharge from the military because of his physical injuries, which included burns and right. such. So trauma warning, trigger warning through this uh, through this movie, because that is very accurately depicted as well. And um, so he is doing uh, screenings for post-traumatic stress. And all of our men and women in the military who have served in the last, since 2005, have responded to those questions before and after every deployment and at every periodic annual health assessment. Have you experienced a traumatic stress event? Mm -hmm. Do you have nightmares? Are you avoiding things? Do you feel emotionally numb? Are you jumpy or hypervigilant? And what I see all the time in the charts is no, 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 no. So five, zero out of five, you don't screen positive for PTSD, you keep your job. That's how they, that's how they see it. Yep. And Coulter Um, even said that too. He even said to Patricia Heaton's physician character, ma'am, I just want to get back. I'm good. I'm good to go. He wanted to remain in his job. Yeah. So, and he was doing his job and service members have been doing their jobs regardless of their post-traumatic stress symptoms, which by the time they come into my office, they've been experiencing since their combat deployments, yeah, which are averaging about 10 years ago. So every, you know, in 2003, we were seeing folks who were deployed to the initial uh, invasion period in Iraq. Uh, 2013, they were coming in in greater numbers. In 14, we were seeing people who were deployed in 05 and 04 and so on. It was like like clockwork almost. So people, I believe, are trying to 
live with this chaos, to overcome this chaos, yep. to do their own things um, for this chaos that we call post-traumatic stress. Um, and yet these personal endeavors are not working. And when we reach the end of the medical model as to what could work, what I see the problem is the hitches is in this neuropsychological component that is that involves the amygdala, the polyvagal system, things that people should learn about. Yeah. Um, because it will explain to them why their brain is going all haywire. So, yep. Yes. Education is really important. I, I'm a firm believer on self-advocacy. So how do you, how do you know? You have yep. to learn. You can't re- you can't rely on and pass it off to somebody else and say, no, that's your job. You have to do it for me. No, yeah. you need you need to be your own advocate. I know we did another podcast episode specifically about ways to become your own advocate. Um, and we're not we're not victims. We're not we're not victims to say, well, the system didn't work for us. You have to be your own advocate. There's more than one way to make a chocolate chip cookie. And just because by golly, I don't have a frying pan, I can still figure out how to fry that bacon, even if it means over an open fire. All of these things, the medical interventions, the Consult with mental health. Yes, alternative approaches to finding serenity. Yep, um, these contribute to developing a lifestyle that is um, counterproductive for the alarm system in our brain. I thought this movie would have been much better, much like super terrific, if there had been a little bit in it about the neuropsychology of trauma memory. And I think that would have helped all the way around, including Ike, to understand why his catch and release program was healing him. Yeah. You know, what's interesting, too, about the catch and release program is, and Joshua brought this up, is when when you have a, a live fish in your hand and you can feel the muscles. I mean, I've held fish, you know, and you... They're like, that's, I just want to say you. <laughs> hey, I didn't have a choice. Okay. <laughs> I was talking to somebody about cleaning fish last week and I'm like, I'll go fishing, but I will not clean the fish. I have cleaned enough fish in my lifetime. I will not clean fish. I'll cook it. I'll go fishing. I have successfully I avoided cleaning fish my entire life. I will not clean any more fish. And no. and I'm not the best fish cooker, but I can certainly clean the pans when it's. Okay, cooked, I can so. cook fish. <laughs> I can cook walleye. I can cook perch. I can I can cook smelt. Okay, I can do it. I can clean all those too. I do not want to do that ever again. Ever again. So the point is, you got a yes. fish in your hand, right? It's yeah, live. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're carefully taking that hook out because you don't want to hurt it. You know, and that. Fish is depending on you to then put it back so it can it can stay alive. So you're holding a wild animal who's dependent on you that it has to get back in the water because it it needs the water to live, right? And you can, I mean, to hold a fish is, it's like holding a newborn baby. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, this thing is, de- it is, it's depending on me. Very fragile. Right, yeah. exactly. Outside and, the water. Correct. Yeah. And watching the um the gills 
you know, and it's and the and it's looking right at you, you know, and and even in the movie, you know, the the saying thank you. What I like about the movie too toward the end is there's filming of so many people involved in the film. And you can tell the facial expressions, how they change. So even with the actors, you know, when they were out there fly fishing and experiencing it, and then, you know, other veterans that were there that were part of the movie, um, it does, there's, there's something about it. I don't want to use the word like transcending, but it moves, it moves, it moves the chaos, some of the chaos through and what I also appreciate about it is that when we can move the chaos, some of the chaos through, it shows people that those are breakthroughs. And once you experience one, then it means you're open, like your nervous system is open for others to come too. Yes. You know, yes. they, they um, people sometimes will say like, will I ever get my life back? And that's something else too that was depicted in the movie about the, the essence of getting back to who I was and I want my life back and I want things to be normal and I all the things that we do want. I think that sometimes in the conversation, there are conversations about, well, you'll never get back. That is actually not true. We, we always are who we are at our core essence. Is life going to be different? Yes, and life is different anyway. It, life isn't different because of trauma. Life is different because life is different anyway. It doesn't dismiss the trauma. But what I, I want the message to come across is that sometimes there are, are folks that have a strong message that, you know, like the sick, not weak kind of thing. I'm sick, not, I'm sick, not weak. I'm sick, not broken. It's like, no, you're not sick. You are who you are. Mm -hmm. We change anyway throughout life. And yes, there will be pieces that you'll revisit. That's why that's why people talk about like a homecoming. Wow, I came full circle. Holy buckets. Yep. For the listener out there who likes to send me the message, this is okay, Dr. Deb, when are you gonna and you know put a holy buckets in your episode? So there's the holy buckets. <laughs> and at the same time, there's like a growth. But aren't we growing too? So how can we say that it was how can we say that it was a growth as as a result of something that was so tragic? Versus it was a growth because I'm who I am at my core. And I discovered this. That's right. About me. Yes. You know what? I It's always tragic to me to talk with somebody who feels that they miss themselves. Mm -hmm. They miss the person that they previously knew themselves to be, which is typically contrasted with the symptom set right. that comes so I'll just be that tech clinician for a sec. You know, that symptom set that is like the blanket of post-traumatic stress. Right. It's the, the worry, the irritability, right. the sadness, the, you know, and so people sometimes begin to identify with the symptoms they're having right. as if this is the new definition of them. Correct. And, and they miss the who they are. Yes. So um, the who they are. So I like these, what people call alternatives. I, I like squirm when I hear that word, because there's nothing about fishing that is alternative. There's nothing about golf. Gardening. Alternative, let's just or say it, right? Or, there's, let's say the or quiet doing things art. out loud. So look at here's this guy, um, Coulter or Ike. 
who's like a busy guy who likes to do stuff, fix stuff. Um, he's he's the leader of a of a um, squad, and it, so he's achieved some leadership uh, positions. So here's this guy Coulter, who's like a busy, active guy, and now as a mental health person, I'm thinking he's going to sit in my chair for an hour and talk about his feelings yeah, and any, know, right and anything other than that is alternative i'm right. like okay no no i squirm at alternative because what should be primary yeah. is what suits the person as they are yes and that's where when we talk about meeting people with where they're at it's great to show that we've got all these tools and stuff because it has worked for some people right and then you find out through your own personal journey, what works for you. And then you go, oh, you know what? Wow, look at this. I'm totally digging this fly fishing thing. And I think I'm going to give that a try, right? And then it's, you know, the some of the frustrations, but who wouldn't, right? You think Michael Phelps decided one day like, oh, I'm going to be an Olympic swimmer. And the first time he got in the pool, it was like, oh, you know, the skies parted and everything and the sun came out and lo and behold, there you No, you have to practice. It's like with anything. And I know that somebody might be rolling their eyes saying, well, yes, but there's, again, this social stigma of if it doesn't work for you, there's something wrong with you. And that's not true. No. If it doesn't work for you, it means we need to find what does. It doesn't mean there's right. something wrong with you. So I have done any number of presentations on mindfulness and I exercise mindfulness kind of in some of the routines that work for me. But really, the thing that works for me best for mindfulness is sitting in my hot tub and paying attention to the five senses yeah, around sure. me as I'm doing that, yep. including watching the sky and um, all of that. What I loved about the talk with the director and you, you both spoke about how fly fishing, you have to be present in the current moment. Mm -hmm. You have to pay attention to the water going around your legs. And, you know, then you all broke it down into its bits, right? So I imagine myself talking to people about mindfulness and then say, look, let's just go fly fishing. And let me show you what I mean, <laughs> you know, or let, let's, yeah. let's go do, and these are not alternatives. Right. These are primary activities, yep. working out, uh, paying attention to your muscles and such. And look, there are also activities that a person can do with their mind or brain um, when you know what's hitching. Right. You know, when you know where the hiccup is. Yep. So if my hiccup is with a post-traumatic stress response, my hiccup is when I'm activated, I get nervous. So I, I have to start recognizing that nervousness mm -hmm. so that I can then do something to oppose that nervousness. Right. When I have this memory, I feel fear. So now I have to do something that is contrary to that fear. So I think about being in that river and a, a criticism about the movie, if you will, is that um, Coulter was never hypervigilant in the water, which I don't think would have happened. I think yeah, I think right. I think Ike was. If you were to ask, like, why was yeah. it every time, you know? But so Patricia Heaton's again the physician, and she's saying, "Don't go fishing by yourself, 
right? Because you got these challenges, right. health, you know, health challenges that come up. As much as I went to the river to fish to get relief, he also experienced confusion. Yes. And the and yes. the other thing was that confusion wasn't linked to like, because I was thinking watching the movie, okay, so are we gonna go into like dementia here? These like early stages of dementia. You don't want to watch a movie with me. Even when I watch Star Trek, I'm sitting there analyzing the whole thing, right? Where other people are like, stop it, stop it. It's like, well, how are we going to do that? You know, you can't do that. There was a, there was a contradiction right there. Uh, anyway, so I point that out because that's how I watch a movie. I analyze a movie. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying the movie at the same time, but my brain is always going, okay, so, you know, how real world is this? Have we seen this anywhere? Whose research would it link to? Those kinds of things, right? And so, yes, with, with Ike, it was like, wait a minute. Okay, so this happens only when he's at the river. So what is happening here? He is experiencing what you're talking about. You know, you're so right, Deb. I didn't even think about that. My eyeballs, could they get any bigger? But yes, uh, I'm like, wait a minute. He's so not dementia. He's not experiencing he's dementia. becoming alarmed enough that his blood pressure is raising. So. Yeah. That would that would make sense if he's going to the river when he's feeling an emergence of this post-traumatic stress chaos, you know. Right. So that's when he goes to the river and for relief. So, for relief but yep. instead he's having not always, but sometimes, yes. So now he can't a, go by himself. A few times he's having some medical incidents. Right, correct. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. So that. The idea that this chaos goes with you everywhere. There's not a magical place. I'm sorry. There's not going to be a lifestyle where this is going to be eliminated forever. Um, But developing a lifestyle that puts you in the river, whatever the river means to you. Right. That puts you in a space where you have to pay attention to the good and safe things that are going on right now. Actually, a river could be kind of dangerous if you slip on a rock. And that's, that's true. That's, that's well, exactly that's, what happened at Ike. Yeah, that's that's the, um, isn't it the safety and also the beauty at the same time? It's like with fire. You know, we can sit around a fire pit, you know, in the middle of, uh, I don't know, summer, fall, right? And if we're not careful, you yeah. know, you can hurt yourself. You know, you got you just, yeah. you have to respect. There's a, There's a respect for the water. There is a respect for the water, definitely respect for the water. Um, I think I think we can talk about the resiliency piece um, because one of the things that I noticed in the movie, how resiliency was created was through community and peer support. And it, and it was done informally. There were a group of people that got together to share and it was facilitated by... Um, by someone and you know uh, Coulter got annoyed with him and like you know kicked a chair and like came storming oh, right. out right he was in quote group therapy yeah group <laughs> but the the informal peer group that was created yeah. was with Ike Coulter Lucy and even um uh West Studi's character and they formed their own little bond yeah you know you know i i liked it because they were all aware that they 
went to the river for relief. Yeah. So there was this shared goal. Yep. Purpose. Yep. And then sharing the experience, doing the fishing together. Yep. And and then with that wrap up, there being more socialization that happened later. Right. So really, I you can talk about it. I am a clinician. I also like talk about things too analytically sometimes. Um, and that's a, a, an analytic way to say it, but to say it the way that my friends in the military, male and female would say it is like, hey, we hung out because we get it. You get it. I get it. We all get it. We don't have to talk about it. Let's go fishing. Right. And the other Period. thing that's really cool about the getting it piece yeah. is that when we're well, we're all social beings, even if someone says they're an introvert, we're still social. We still have the human need to connect. And being out of the military, then where's your brothers and sisters? Where's your family? Yeah. You know? And yeah. and 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 even if you're not a service member and you're a regular person like myself and you, we're just regular, we're regular people. Civilians. Right. We have the same desires, which is to belong to a community, to have a, a family. We have that innate quality. Mm-hmm. And to find it through, I think that's one of the beautiful things that came out of the movie is they found that sense of community again. Even though Lucy goes off, right? She can always come back. It's not like she goes off yeah. and it's like, I'm leaving you. It's not like that. You it know? was catch. It was catch and release, right? It was catch and release, even with Lucy. Uh-huh. You know, which has a lot of people in our lives. You know, because someone comes into our life doesn't mean that they stay uh-huh. forever, right? You know, and it's important to know how to release people, right? To whatever they're doing next, to the life that they're living. Next. Right. It it's actually my been my model for how do you survive being a psychologist for 40 years. So it has to be 20, 25 years ago that I thought to myself, oh well, what I do is catch and release. So when I'm with somebody in my professional capacity, I'm present with them. I'm I care about what's going on with them. Right. And and then when they're ready to leave, I release them Mm -hmm. to do their thing. I don't want them to become dependent on me. I want them to feel released to live their life, um, to develop a lifestyle. If I can be helpful in the development of a lifestyle that brings them more serenity, using your word, I think it's a great word, something that people really want, something that I don't see a lot of people having. Yeah. For you know, sure is is serenity and mm-hmm. counting on medical repairs is just I mean count on medical to be helpful, but medical is not going to repair uh traumatic stress. Uh, yeah. Somebody has said um we can't save anyone else, we can only save ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's that's pretty clear to me. I think that was clear with both characters is that they both made the commitment and decision at some point, at some point, Ike had already made that commitment to himself. 
And during the film, um, you know, you see Coulter where he's like, he just stops drinking alcohol and he's like, it's not said he made the decision. It's shown that he's made the decision. Yeah. And I know that there are people who might say right now, if it was that easy, don't you think that I would? And we've also heard heard stories of people that will say, like, I had to hit rock bottom before I, you know, got my life together. Um, but having somebody believe in you is really important. Yep. And he didn't put that down until somebody believed in him. Right. Or believed in the idea that he would have a new future. A, right. A different future. A, different chapter than he thought was going to be written was going to happen next. You know, and I, I think for, a, you have to, as a person, be flexible, be open to your future being different than what you thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. That in our own lives that we have to like catch and release. Right. So, you know, we have to catch this moment. You and I, I appreciate you, Dr. Deb, because every time we talk, it's like we have this great catch moment, you know, where where we both get to practice articulating, you know, what we think about this. And we both have this passion for um, making this narrative useful to people and being not that we get to craft it or create it, but we get to participate in the crafting of the next narrative for post-traumatic stress, which we are long overdue, the stigma about it. So now, so the stigma goes from being personally weak to being a medical failure, you know? So Right, exactly, right? right? And and how cool isn't it that that there's so many people that are utilizing their platform? You know, you've got these Emmy award-winning directors, producers, writers, actors, uh, composers that are all saying, what can I do with what I have and to make a difference, to, to, to call out stigma, to educate and, and educate with information that is accurate, not made up or, um, gaslighting. Gaslighting right? with influence. Oh, it'll be better in tomorrow, or it'll be better after you do this. Or... Right. There must be something wrong with you because our clinical fishing. study shows, you know, there's got to be something wrong with you. It's like, no, no, and no, right? right. Who's drinking the freaking Kool Aid, right? Uh, and the other things, I know you and I have talked about this offline. We've talked about the success stories. If all of this other stuff is supposed yeah. to be as effective as it claims to be, then where are the massive amounts of success stories? My life is better. My relationship with my wife is better. My relationship with my spouse is better. My relationships with my kids are better. I'm able to hold down jobs. Think life is good. Where's Where are those stories? I'm not seeing it on Twitter. I'm not seeing it on social media. What I'm seeing is a bunch it's of- not on my, Instagram. Yeah, yeah, where's it at? Where are, where are these massive amounts of stories? Because the massive amounts of pills are being taken every day. And I'm not here to slam biopharmaceuticals. What I am saying is the stories that we're familiar with in our little community is 
there are a handful of people that say it works and there are more people that are saying, uh, I will never take this again. I now have permanent side effects from this. I wish I was told it was dismissed. Yeah. Yeah. Where are the success stories? You know where yeah, the success so. stories are at? The success stories are on the river. The success stories are at the beehives. The success stories are with uh, horses. The success stories are with throwing pottery. The success stories are with barbecue, with cooking, with knitting, with crocheting, with peer support groups, with building a community, with people that, like you were saying, get it. Whether And that's why we, we're an and, Right. We're yes. an and, and this isn't a, this isn't a, um, you know, us versus them where, well, those practitioners, no, people don't go and become therapists because they want to hurt people. People usually go into service pr- professions because they want to help people. Right? Right. right. So what do we got here? Even like Bernie right. Siegel, he writes about it too, where the backlash he got with, you know, his peers why are you talking to your patients in surgery, telling them, you know what, you're going to heal really super fast. The um, incision scar is going to be minimal. Why are you Why are you talking crazy to your patients when they're under? Because it works. Hmm. We know it works with plants. Kids have done these studies before. You know, you yeah. tell a plant negative things and, you know, and, and you see these plants, that the, the poor things look like they're just going to, you know, keel over and then and they are keeled over. They're wilted. They don't, they, they look terrible. And these are plants. And you tell a plant, you know, all positive, wonderful things. You love them and the plants thriving. Well, we, we, we do the same to one another. We do the same. So I'm a, I'm a right. firm believer that one of these days we're going to reach not to be too long-winded. We're going to reach Gene Roddenberry's vision. We're going to have it. We are. We're, one of these days, we're going to have. We're going to reach the Federation. I don't know. I. I, I it's don't not going to be that. my lifetime. I'm going to be long gone, but someone's going to figure it out. I'm a little too old for that too. I, and I honestly think that humans are always hoping for heaven, and you know, really, what we have is Earth you know, and gravity and choices and pressures on us and stress. And so let's just say again, traumatic stress. Right. Traumatic stress is a heavy burden that produces and keeps producing chaos. And so because it had a, a, a moment in time when it started, we somehow think that there will be a moment in time when we can stop it altogether. And I think that really all that honestly happens is that life keeps going and there, there won't be a moment in time when it's stopped, but all of a sudden you'll realize I haven't thought about that in a week. That didn't affect me the way that it used to. Or wait a minute. I, I, I'm a little happier than I was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe we don't hear the success stories because they're so damn gradual, you know. Um, But let me just say on this podcast, I am now charging our communities of people in healing and our communities of people who do healing. And often those people are the same people. Yeah. Um, 
are uh, that we start saying the stories of I'm better this week. I remember in my in my earliest grieving processes, it just took years. Um, I remember a week when I got to a Sunday and I thought, I haven't thought about them for a week. And I didn't know how, didn't quite feel okay about that, but I was also glad about that. Mm -hmm. And even more so, I knew that they would be glad for me. Right. That I had spent a week happily focusing on, you know, my current life and the chapter that I'm in. Um, and and that's that's what I love about this movie, actually. And it, and if you ever can have an opportunity to do one of these exercises, these quote alternative approaches that are actually primary for so many people, do one, and you will have more hope that you can do another, that's and right. you will have more hope that you'll be able to string together a number of days where that's what it's like for you. And um, if you want to know what it's like to be a psychologist at 63, it's a humbling experience to have been in the room when a number of people have made that forward motion and have entered a chapter um, that is new and engaging and exciting and um, something that they're something to live for. That's right. And, that's that's exactly right and and Joshua talks about both of those things about hope and then something something to live for again right there's a, it's it's right. it's a it's a temporary pause on i don't want to say losing the purpose but you find it again that again i'm going to circle back to the word homecoming the homecoming yeah. of rediscovering yourself the homecoming of you know, greeting yourself like the old best friend that you're like, you pick up just like it was yesterday. Yeah. Time has passed. Yeah. But you pick it up like it was just yesterday. And there is hope. There is, there is hope. And you can, you can continue to live. It's not that you don't, you know, and, and those are the stories that, yeah, even at PTSD and beyond when people will send a DM or a message and they share. Sometimes I get messages from people that I don't, you know, like I got a message last, I, I don't even know who this person is, but they know us. I'm like, okay. They listen to the podcast. I'm like, this is great. And when you get those messages, then yes, you know that you're contributing to something that's bigger than you originally yes. even thought. Cause originally, you know, um, and again, it's about how things grow and 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 shape, and you know, I don't say like a metamorphosis process, right? You originally start out as this, and then the next thing you know, you're here. We are here. Yeah. You and I are talking about yeah. movies, right? It's, Where it's more like that. It's more like metamorphosis than it is like repairing a car engine, right? Exactly. You know? so, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, we're we're not broken. We're just on the road. Right. And things have happened. Stress has happened. That's either pulled us thin or has popped some part of us. We don't have to be resilient to everything that comes our way. Some things are just going to affect us. They're going to affect every one of us. There is no person who is numb. Immune. 
like, you know, mm-hmm. like a data, right? Let's go back to Star Trek, right? Without okay. without complete emotion. So there comes a point where um, a person can respond to something and then another person will, you know, will say, um, you know, well, you yelled or you lost your temper. Yeah, but I had to deal with it for eight freaking times. At what point is a reasonable period of time before someone says, uh, no, right? At the same time, at the same time, um, our emotions do tell us something. They tell us boundaries were crossed, for example. They tell us things that um, are not in alignment with our values and beliefs. Um, they tell us about social challenges that we witness that are injustices. And they also, our emotions tell us to the things that we're grateful for, that we feel like, oh my, you know, I've got humility and grace and gratitude. Resilience is a word um, that has a social definition versus the actual definition, kind of like you were talking about stress, right? Mm-hmm. It has a literal definition, a social definition, the actual definition itself. And for some reason, resilience is like, well, you can't take it. You know, you're not, you're not, you got to man up, right? You just got to mm. suck it up. That's not what resilience is about. And, and with this pushing of resiliency training, it's like, wait a second, we need to pause here for a second. And how about if we address the root cause first, or do we even, has, has the root cause even been identified? But you want kids to be resilient. You want us to develop resilience, not you, Pam, but you know, people, no, not you. all people, okay. but there's this movement of resiliency. You. Yeah. you need to be more resilient. We're going to teach resiliency training. What's the point of teaching resiliency training when you've got an abusive workplace environment? What good is resiliency training? So I got to suck it up even more and eat the shit, but the root problem isn't going to get addressed. Well, how's that going to work out? It doesn't. And then what happens is it it victim shames the person who has been on the receiving end of that toxicity. So there needs to be a reshaping about what exactly is resiliency. And I'm just going to call it out because I thought it was funny as all get out. We were talking about resilience before we started recording. (laughs) I'm going to say it. I'm going to do it because it's a great illustration. (laughs) What is the common thing that gets used as the illustration for resilience? It's the rubber band. Wrong. Yes, we know if we stretch out the rubber band over time, it loses its elasticity. Thus, it's no longer resilient. You stretch it too many times. Resilience means the ability to bounce back, right? Bounce back, right. Well, the better version of, yes, the better version of illustrating resiliency failure are bras. Yes, it is. Because bras are designed. All right, guys. I know, guys, who's rolling their eyes. I hope you're laughing with us, but we're dead. I'm dead serious. Completely serious. It is such a thing to manage having a bra that is elastic enough to stay tight and loose enough to give you a little comfort. Yeah, and it's washed all the time. And yet it's supposed to go through the washing machine. You spend like 68 bucks for the damn thing. And it's, you know, whatever made with all these fancy materials. And it's supposed to hold you up. But what happens over time? We know what happens over time, right? Right? You know, the straps start going down. You're hiking everything up. And then the next thing you know, it's like, what have you been doing to the bra? 
you've been putting the bra in a test of stress and the stress is movement. The stress is I'm going through my natural everyday life. I'm not yes. abusing the thing. It's not like yes. we're using it for arm curls. <laughs> well, so, and then someone decides it's a brilliant thing to put a piece of wire in there because we, because we do move around and we need that. We need that bra to remain more resilient over time. So what's more resilient than, than uh, a rubber band or the material, a piece of wire? Really? I just, I wish I had been at that table when that decision was made to say no wires in the bras, please. The point is, is yes, is that there's going to be moments where we're going to ha- be poked by the wire. Yes. It's going to really test our resiliency. And then there are times where we're going to recognize that the product and service works temporarily and that yes. it might need to be changed out at some point. Yes. So this all you people life. that are using freaking rubber bands for the illustration, yeah, you got a better one. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's true. It is very Who's true. walking around I, with rubber bands? We're not. I'm kind of guessing a jock strap would have a similar <laughs> kind of illustration. No, <laughs> but I'll, I'll leave true. that to I mean, our, male, our male counterparts to... Flesh yeah. that one out for us. You know what's even more funny? That I'm dumb. Nope. I know, right? I mean, here you are. So we got two really good illustrations, depending <laughs> on what you want to, you know, use. That's fine. Um, but yes, I mean, yeah, if you think about athletes, right? I mean, come on. <laughs> so the word the word resilience and resiliency training. Examine it, look at it, understand what it means before saying, oh, I'm going to go do this. And why I say that too is because sometimes programs um, about semantics, oh, I see the internet's going to start messing up with us. Well, they must be back now. I think things are starting to lock up. <laughs> so that's our cue. My point is, is that make sure that in any program, you know, to really understand what people mean and and clarify as for clarification because to be your own advocate means yeah that you want to mend your own line you want to mend your own line yeah dr pam thanks a lot for being here today it's always fun guys this is dr deb with ptsd and beyond and also dr pam hall go check her out 